that we can safely protect. Curious About Cannabis is dedicated to providing reliable cannabis science education to anyone curious enough to learn. To get access to free courses and other educational resources, visit learn.cacpodcast.com and become a Curious About Cannabis member for free. The Curious About Cannabis book provides an incredible crash course in cannabis science through over 500 pages of content filled with photos, activities, science experiments, games, and more to help guide you through your personalized cannabis education journey. This book has become a trusted textbook in colleges and universities across North America and is absolutely perfect for serious learners as well as cannabis educators, bud tenders, clinicians, patients, and caregivers. And special thanks to the many individuals, companies, and organizations that have helped Curious About Cannabis meet our mission of becoming the number one trusted source of cannabis science education on the planet. This includes organizations like Credo Science with Ethan Russo, The Conigma, Treadwell Farms, The Spellman Report with Kevin Spellman, The Workshop, Green Earth Medicinals, CBD National, Magnolia Botanicals, and more. Visit cacpodcast.com slash sponsors to learn about our sponsors and go show them some love for helping us spread cannabis science education far and wide to anyone curious enough to learn. If you like Curious About Cannabis, consider checking out some of these other learning initiatives by Natural Learning Enterprises. and unyielding, grounding, yet transcendent. It's a curious thing. Let's explore it together. Isn't Life Curious? Available at isn'tlifecurious.com or wherever you experience podcasts. And now, back to the show. Hey everybody, this is Jason with the Curious About Cannabis podcast. Thanks so much for tuning in once again. It has been a minute, hasn't it? Um, I think the, the last episode I posted was back in July or August, and we are now in November. So, ended up having a, quite a few very challenging life events happen that delayed us a bit, had to take a break for a few months, and um, the challenges continue, but the podcast is back, and we are moving forward. Um, To kind of come back from the break, I wanted to do an episode uh, just with myself to kind of go over some little things that have happened in cannabis research through um, the past several months that have caught my eye that I wanted to bring to your attention and then tell you a little bit about what you can expect from the future episodes coming up um, over the next several months. So one of the research studies that really got my eye that has made a lot of buzz on social media and things like that is a study from Abstracts Tech that explored the non-terpenoid components of cannabis aroma. So I'll stop right there and kind of break that down a bit. So non-terpenoid, so we're talking about chemicals that are not terpenes, 
that make up the smell or the aroma of cannabis. If you've listened to me talk for any amount of time or watched any of the Curious About Cannabis YouTube videos, then you already know that um, I'm a big proponent for people paying attention to the smell of cannabis, but less to the terpene results that may be associated with a cannabis product. And that's for multiple reasons. For one thing, um, there are plenty of reasons to think that we still have a ways to go to get really, really accurate terpene data. Terpenes are really small, really sensitive chemicals that are hard to pin down. They change a lot. And even just getting a terpene result um, for a batch of cannabis, well, by the time that cannabis makes it home with somebody and has had time to dry, get exposed to light and other things, it gets ground and gets exposed to heat and things from the friction of grinding, well, those terpenes change. And the test results you see about a cannabis product may or may not be that relevant for the product you're actually consuming. Cannabis is very dynamic, and it's important to keep that in mind. So this study was all about the aspects of cannabis aroma that are not terpenes. These are things like aldehydes, esters, um, different um, sulfur-containing compounds, some of which are terpenoids and others that aren't, and um, a host of other things. And this was one of the most comprehensive studies of its type. So the title of this study is Minor Non-Terpenoid Volatile Compounds Drive the Aroma Differences of Exotic Cannabis. And as I'm pulling it up here, I can see it's already been viewed almost 15,000 times since it was released in October of this year, 2023. And this study is freely available. It's not paywalled, so anyone can go and look it up and download the PDF and read through it. There are some really great um, visual aids to help people understand um, the context of everything that they're talking about here, which I like. They have technical diagrams, but they also have very um, like layperson-friendly diagrams that make all of this really easy to digest. And one of the things that I liked is they kind of break down the volatile constituents of cannabis into not just terpenes, but also this category called flavorants. And the flavorants category includes things like esters, alcohols, aldehydes, um, volatile sulfur compounds, etc. And then, you know, on the terpene side, you have your monoterpenes, sesquiterpenes, your terpenoids, um, and all of that. So this is already kind of expanding our um, classification of cannabis constituents a little bit, giving us, um, giving us a little bit of a better system for thinking about and talking about these compounds in cannabis. Terpene testing around cannabis really started to get going in the 2010s, I think literally around 2010. I mean, there had been there had been research done on cannabis that had looked at terpenes, but as far as commercial terpene testing goes, that really started around 2010 or so. And as we started to get access to more insights about cannabis and we learned about things like beta-caryophylline and limonene and myrcene and 
um, linalool and all of these interesting components of cannabis that are responsible for some of the smells and oil content and everything of the plant, people got really stoked and everything became about terpenes and people really focused a lot of their attention on terpenes, rightfully so, and a lot of great interesting work has been done. But in the pursuit of celebrating terpenes and trying to better understand them, there are a host of other chemicals that kind of um, were ignored or kind of delayed in our um, appreciation of them. There was a study, I can't remember the title of it, I think it was from the late 2010s, that looked at what compounds were responsible for contributing to the aroma of cannabis, and they found that terpenes were only contributing to about 50% of the perceived aroma, and that that other 50% were things like aldehydes, um, esters, and whatnot. And so this study really, you know, brings that point home, and when you combine this study with the study I just mentioned and other studies like it, it helps us understand a few basic things. So first of all, the study I mentioned before from the late 2010s tells us that the aroma that we are smelling is maybe about 50% of that is terpenes contributing to that experience. There was also another study that came out last year called the Nose Nose, which identified that the best indicator or the best predictor of a positive outcome with cannabis is whether the consumer likes the smell. And so we're learning that aroma is more than terpenes, that there are compounds on cannabis that can be present in very, very, very small concentrations, less so than terpenes even, but but bring more to the table in terms of the overall experience. So the abundance of the compound doesn't necessarily indicate how big of an impact that compound is going to have on the overall experience. And then this study that I'm talking about that came out in October from Abstracts Tech helps us understand more of what are these other constituents of cannabis aroma and how can we use our understanding of those compounds to think about how we classify different varieties of cannabis. So super interesting stuff, really exciting, um, more uh, kind of cutting edge, you know, really pushing us into the frontiers of cannabis science. Um, so I love that. So I'll definitely be reaching out to folks at Abstracts Tech. I've um, talked to um, TJ before on the podcast. And so um, I definitely will want to talk to them again and go over the details of this study. But if you haven't read it already, go look it up. As a reminder, the title is Minor Non-Terpenoid Volatile Compounds Drive the Aroma Differences of Exotic Cannabis. came out in October of 2023, and you can find that at ACS Publications. Um, really great work um, by Abstracts Tech and the team there and everyone else that was involved. Very, very cool stuff. And um, related to this, on social media, if you're listening to this shortly after this episode released, I'm doing a 30% discount on the Curious About Cannabis Masterclass for 2024. 
and you just have to figure out what the coupon code is. And the coupon code is related to this study that I'm talking about right now. And um, the clue that I gave was that this compound tends to be a little crappy or a little shitty. That may seem weird, it may even offend you, but I promise there's actually some thought behind it. And if you look at figure five from this study, minor non-terpenoid volatile compounds drive the aroma differences of exotic cannabis. If you look at figure five, try to find a molecule that you think matches my little riddle. And if you get it right, you'll unlock that 30% discount. Just try to register at masterclasscannabis.com and then for the coupon code type in the molecule name that you think it is and you'll get it or if you're just really really um, patient I guess you could type in all of the molecule names and eventually get it that way but don't cheat that's not fun <laughs> another study I wanted to talk about came out let's see when did this come out in June of 2023 and this one is titled, Selected Cannabis Terpenes Synergize with THC to Produce Increased CB1 Receptor Activation. So everyone wants to know, how do terpenes influence the activity of THC? Can they stimulate CB1 receptors by themselves? For the past 10 years or so, as people have been really excited about terpenes and how they might contribute to what people call the entourage effect, there's been a lot of discussion and theorizing about whether terpenes directly influence cannabinoid receptors. Do they work synergistically with THC and how? And the research around it has been really mixed. There's been research that's shown that some terpenes do have activity at cannabinoid receptors in certain concentrations. Other studies have not shown that so much. Um, or that those concentrations would have to be so high that, you know, they practically have no activity in any sort of um, practical use case scenario. In this study, which like I said, came out in June of this year, 2023, looked at combining certain terpenes with THC, exposing them to CB1 receptors and seeing if their activity together was more or less than um, when they were separated. This study is open access, so you can go and download it and read the whole thing. And I'll just read a little excerpt here. The results demonstrate that all terpenes, when tested individually, activate CB1 receptors at about 10 to 50% of the activation by THC alone. The combination of some of these terpenes with THC significantly increase the activity of the CB1 receptor compared to THC alone in some cases, several fold. Importantly, this amplification is evident at terpene to THC ratios that are similar to those in the cannabis plant, which reflect very low terpene concentrations. For some terpenes, the activation obtained by THC terpene mixtures is notably greater than the sum of the activations by the individual components, suggesting a synergistic effect. So this study, identified a few primary things. One, it found that the ratio of terpenes to THC really matter. It found that when that ratio is in an ideal situation, 
that the CB1 receptor activity is much greater than what it would be if you just added up the activity that THC and that terpene elicit by themselves. And um, another thing they found that's really interesting is that it's important which terpenes are present and that there can be situations where some terpenes are kind of counteracting the synergistic effect and that complete whole plant or full spectrum extracts may not always be the best thing, that there may be a need to um, carefully formulate and tweak those extracts a little bit to make them more ideally suited for certain conditions. So uh, again, this is an excerpt out of the abstract for the paper, but they say, as the most effective terpenes are not necessarily the most abundant ones in the cannabis plant, reaching whole plant or full spectrum composition is not necessarily an advantage. For enhanced therapeutic effects, desired compositions are attainable by enriching extracts with selected terpenes. These compositions adjust the treatment for various desired medicinal and personal needs. So basically they're saying in order for that terpene to THC ratio to be what you really want for certain conditions, you may need to add certain terpenes to a whole plant extract in order for it to have the greatest possible impact, which is interesting. It just adds a little bit of nuance to the whole uh, situation. You know, if we're trying to figure out how to develop products that are as effective as possible, and um, as dialed in as possible for certain conditions, then it may not be enough to just go to whole plant extracts, which by and large, most often are more beneficial for people than um, kind of stripped down extracts like distillate or isolate. Although that's not the case for everyone. I know plenty of people who actually do really well with isolates and distillates. Um, but I would say most people tend to, from my experience, tend to respond better to whole plant or full spectrum extracts. Now, this is suggesting that maybe they would respond even better if those whole plant or full spectrum extracts were modulated just a little bit to have just a little bit more or less of a certain terpene so that the ratio of that terpene to THC is in a perfect balance for whatever condition they're trying to treat. So interesting study. Um, I suggest you go check it out and let me know what you think about it. It's you know a little contrary to some other studies that have been done on terpenes and cannabinoid receptor effects, and then it's also somewhat in line with other studies. So it'll be interesting to see if anyone recreates this and does some spinoff research, but. Um, Certainly very interesting and gives us a lot to think about. All right, what else do we have here? So earlier in the year, back in March, there was a study that came out that I found interesting because it connects with me personally. This study looked at spinal cord injuries in, um, this was a rodent study, but it was examining how cannabis um, extracts, particularly CBD and beta-caryophylline together, influenced spinal cord injuries and chronic pain. So those of you, if you don't know, I've had multiple spinal cord injuries throughout my life, primarily in my late teens and early 20s. Um, I was a skateboarder, 
and um, overall adrenaline junkie. Did a lot of um, exciting, thrill-seeking things, and in the process, um, banged up my body pretty good. And I've cracked my tailbone and, you know, landed on the tail end of metal rails directly on my uh, vertebrae and stuff. I've fallen on my head and um, caused nerve damage in my neck. All sorts of fun things. <clears throat> All sorts of fun things. And so when I see a study like this that's looking at chronic pain and spinal cord injuries, I get real excited. So let's see what they found. So one of the motivations for this study is the researchers wanted to see if CBD and beta-caryophylline might possibly affect chronic pain through um, the CB2 receptor or through non-CB1 receptor activity. And interestingly enough, they found that CB1 seemed to be involved even though neither CBD or beta-caryophylline have much affinity for CB1. And so how they figured this out is they administered this concoction of CBD and beta-caryophylline to these rodents, and they saw that they uh, seemed to have less pain. They were not seeking morphine as much, which is the model they used. You basically give these rodents access to morphine to control their pain, and the idea is if they're feeling less pain, they will want morphine less. So then after that, they decided to block CB2 receptors and certain opioid receptors in these rodents to try to get an understanding of what receptors are at play that are driving this um, pain relief. They saw that even though they were blocking the CB2 receptor and these opioid receptors, they um, still were getting effects. But then those effects went away when they administered a CB1 antagonist. So for just to summarize what I just said, when they gave these rodents CBD and beta-caryophylline together, the rodents had less pain, they were seeking morphine less, and when the CB2 receptor was blocked and certain opioid receptors were blocked, those pain-relieving effects were still present. But when a CB1 receptor was blocked, those pain-relieving effects seemed to go away, which indicates that CB, the CB1 receptor is at play and is somehow responsible for this, at least in part, to the pain-relieving effects that they were seeing. But it's odd because CBD and beta-caryophylline don't generally interact with CB1 receptors much at all. So... This tells us that there's more to look at and that compounds that are not CB1 agonists necessarily may still influence the body through the CB1 receptor and may activate the CB1 receptor indirectly through a number of means. Maybe, um, you know, it's possible that there were some, there were, you know, it's possible there was some endocannabinoid signaling um, of the CB1 receptor, potentially. Maybe CBD and beta-caryophylline in these rodents were stimulating endocannabinoid production that was then stimulating CB1 receptors and then leading to chronic pain relief. Um, we don't know, but it's more to study and super interesting.
and I'm happy to see more studies looking at these cannabinoid terpenoid mixtures. Uh, it gives us a lot more um, interesting questions to ask and more interesting research to do. Okay, the next one, and this will be the last one I talk about today. This one came out in August of 2023, and it didn't really get the attention I felt like it should have gotten. It's only been viewed, um, as I'm pulling it up here, 900 times, and you know it's been out a few months. But the title of this article is Cannabinoformins, Designing Biguanide Embedded Orally Available Peripherally Selective Cannabinoid 1 Receptor Antagonists for Metabolic Syndrome Disorders. And that is a mouthful, but I'll break some of that down for you. So the problem that these researchers are trying to tackle is that there are a lot of conditions where we need to target cannabinoid receptors in certain parts of the body and not others. The endocannabinoid system is not one thing, as I've mentioned many times on the podcast and in courses on the Curious About Cannabis Learning Platform and everything. Your tissues throughout your body all sort of have their own endocannabinoid system, and those endocannabinoid systems interact with each other and influence each other. But it's entirely possible that you're you know, and this is a very simplified way of talking about it, but you could think of it as your endocannabinoid system in your brain, for instance, or your central nervous system could be fine, but your endocannabinoid system in your gut or somewhere else could be way off and causing you problems. And so what do you do when you want to get something like THC, uh, you know, a cannabinoid one receptor agonist so what do you do when you want to stimulate cannabinoid receptors in one part of the body, but not others? And um, there's been examples of how researchers have been trying to tackle this. Uh, for instance, um, Dr. El Soli out of um, the University of Mississippi um, published something not too long ago, several years ago, about um, THC eye drops that were developed to try to deliver cannabinoid type 1 receptor agonists directly to the eyeball, stimulate those CB1 receptors in the eyeball, but don't stimulate the CB1 receptors in the brain or anywhere else. And in that way, people could, you know, try to treat things like glaucoma and other issues and not get high if they don't want to. Um, this is kind of similar. So in this study, these researchers were looking at um, these compounds they developed, which they call cannabinoformins, um, they call them forearm cannabinoid type 1 receptor antagonists, and they're designed to not cross the blood-brain barrier and to only stimulate CB1 receptors in the peripheral nervous system. So all of um, everything outside of your brain and, and spine, basically. And... This is really interesting because it provides an option to treat a lot of different things without getting people high if they're very sensitive or just don't want the effects of cannabis um, on their brain and, and central nervous system. So these are compounds that are able to block CB1 receptors, essentially, in certain parts of the body, 
but not in the brain or the central nervous system. Now, this is huge because um, back in the day, there was a drug that was developed called Rimonabant. And Rimonabant was designed as a weight loss drug, and it was a CB1 receptor antagonist, or that was the thought at the time. And unfortunately, what happens when you block CB1 receptors throughout the central nervous system is people get very depressed, they get suicidal, and there are a lot of other problems. You don't want to block CB1 receptors in the central nervous system in general, or you're going to have a bad time. So this study is showing that there are CB1 receptor antagonists that can be developed that won't cross the blood-brain barrier that theoretically then would not cause depression, suicidality, and that sort of thing, but would influence um, weight control, um, glucose tolerance, insulin resistance, and that sort of thing, thus providing a way to use cannabinoid and thus providing a way to use CB1 receptor antagonists um, with much less of a side effect profile as something like rimotabant. So really interesting. We'll see what comes of that. It's just fascinating to see how dialed in cannabinoid therapeutics is getting. And um, I love seeing this foray into really the frontiers of cannabinoid science. So anyway, that's a highlight of some of the studies that really caught my eye lately. Um, There's some other really good ones. Um, There's some good review papers that came out this year that um, kind of explore the history of the cannabis plant and its name. There's a study, um, Cannabis, a Multifaceted Plant with Endless Potentials, that came out in June of this year that has some great um, breakdowns on the nomenclature and taxonomy of cannabis, as well as exploring the sort of etymology of the name cannabis and hemp. So anyway, that's what I've got for you now. I hope you've enjoyed spending a little bit of time diving into some of the recent research that's come out that I found interesting. I'm interested to know what what you all have found interesting. If there are papers that I have missed, I'd love to learn about that. And I look forward to getting some new episodes out really soon. I've got several interviews that I'm getting scheduled. Um, I'm having to change the some of the hardware and software I'm using for the podcast. And so um, that takes me just a little bit of time and maneuvering um, and practicing or just changing everything. But um, I look forward to getting those episodes out really soon. I assume within the month um, we'll be back to releasing regular episodes every few weeks. So thanks so much for tuning in and listening. Um, If you want to support the show and if you want to get access to all sorts of really cool cannabis education content that falls within the Curious About Cannabis ecosystem, please consider becoming a member at member.cacpodcast.com. It's only $4.99 a month, and you get access to all sorts of courses. You can um, get certificates when you complete those courses. You get access to every podcast episode that I've ever made. Um, You get access to every video, YouTube video, unreleased videos and podcast episodes. Um, You also get access to digital versions of Um, old editions of the Curious About Cannabis books and 
just all sorts of other things. So if you want to really unlock the Curious About Cannabis ecosystem, go to member.cacpodcast.com and get signed up today. And if you want to spend next year learning with me and a whole bunch of my friends, colleagues, other scientists, researchers, clinicians, um, the Curious About Cannabis Masterclass is coming up in March of 2024. We've got, I think, six or seven spots still available. And remember, if you want 30% off, try to um, look at the Curious About Cannabis social media accounts. Look for that post about the game to figure out the molecule name that will unlock the 30% off, and good luck with that. And if you want to register for the Masterclass, go to masterclasscannabis.com. And it's really fun. It's really unique. We spend at least six months together, usually more. Um, We meet every other week on Zoom, and we dive into all sorts of cannabis science topics. We talk about the plant, cannabis botany, taxonomy, chemistry, how the plant um, can be extracted, all the different extraction techniques and the science behind them. We talk about cannabis testing and how cannabis labs commit fraud and boost THC numbers and why. We talk about how they test for contaminants and how labs measure their own accuracy and how you can critically evaluate labs to hold them accountable. We talk about um, the medical side of cannabis, the different ways cannabis can be used and has been used as medicine throughout the years. We talk about how cannabinoids affect the body, how terpenes affect the body. We talk about veterinary applications of cannabis. We really go through just about anything and everything you can think of that you'd want to learn. We're going to be diving into it. We're going to have guest speakers coming in almost every week to um, connect with the cohort, answer questions, and share things that they're passionate about. It's it's really an amazing time, and the the whole masterclass has a and the masterclass has a component that's very personalized to each person that attends. So you'll have a chance to dive in and research whatever topics that are uniquely interesting to you, and um, and we have people that come in with no academic background at all to people that are getting their PhDs. We have doctors and nurses and all sorts of people that take these classes, as well as bud tenders and uh, people that work in extraction labs. Um, Really the whole gambit, lots of patients take this class. Um, And I really designed it so that it really doesn't matter how strong of a science background you have. Um, This course is very um, dynamic and personalized to you, so it'll meet you where you're at. And um, it's my hope that I'll be able to help you along the way to get the most out of the experience. And we will meet one-on-one multiple times throughout the year. And um, really, you'll develop a close relationship with your cohort, um, with me, and um, our special guest. It's, it's a cool time. So we only accept about 20 people per year. And we've got about six spots left, I think six or seven So if you have any interest at all, I really encourage you to sign up. You can save money if you pay all at once for the full registration, but we also have payment plans. There's no credit check or anything. You can just choose the plan that works for your situation and um, you'll secure your spot. So that's masterclasscannabis.com. 
So with that, everybody, um, I look forward to connecting with you again really soon in the next few weeks. Until then, stay curious and take it easy. Bye-bye, everybody. If you're curious about cannabis like me, then get connected to the Curious About Cannabis ecosystem and let's learn together. Visit cacpodcast.com slash connect to join our learning community on our Discord server and you can participate in regular giveaways, dive into the latest cannabis research, connect with certified Curious About Cannabis educators, hang out in our break room with other curious minds and more. Best of all, it's totally free. Just visit cacpodcast.com slash connect to learn more or click connect on the Curious About Cannabis app, which is available on Android and coming soon to iOS.